Uh, you can be seated. I want to just kind of make you aware, um, uh, some of you are aware of a, of a loss that our church family had. Uh, Helen Kadingo uh, passed away um, a few weeks ago, and they're doing um, um, a, a visitation and a funeral service here at the church uh, this coming Saturday. Uh, that uh, visitation will be for uh, the family at, at 10 for, to visit with the family, and then the funeral will be at 11. Uh, so we'd love to invite you to be a part of that uh, and encourage um, her uh, sister Diane and the rest of their family. So I want to make you aware of that and invite you to be a part of that. So let's go ahead and pray, and then uh, we'll start uh, this uh, Christmas series uh, called Wonder. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you uh, for Jesus. We want to thank you for his grace. And in a world where uh, we love a lot of explanation, um, I want to pray right now that during this series that we would just kind of stand in wonder at what you have done and, and how you have done it uh, to bring us salvation and light and life. We're grateful for Jesus. It is in his name we pray. Amen. I was uh, reading this week in preparation for the sermon about kids who write their letters to Santa Claus, and those are always really uh, cute. One kid wrote, Dear Santa, uh, last year I really didn't get anything good. Uh, the year before, I didn't really get anything good. Uh, this year is your last chance, right? Um, another uh, kid wrote, Dear Santa, there are three boys in our house, Rick, Jim, and Timmy. Rick is good some of the time. Jim is good some of the time. But Timmy, he's good all of the time. Signed, Timmy. Um, I, I heard about another kid uh, that really wanted a watch for Christmas. And he began to just bother his dad about it day and night all the time. And finally, his dad said, listen, if you ask me about this watch one more time, I'm pretty much guaranteeing uh, that you're not going to get it. And don't bother writing to Santa. He's not going to do much good for you either if you're not quiet about it. And so later that night, the family was gathering for the meal. And uh, the son said, hey, would it be okay, Dad, if I, if I prayed for the meal? And the father's like, yeah, that would, that, he's getting it. He, he's getting it. He's getting what life is all uh, about. And he said, would it be okay if I read a scripture uh, before I prayed? And the father was even more proud. He said, absolutely, you can read a scripture. And uh, he said, Mark 13, 37, Jesus says, what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch, watch, right? There is, uh, the truth of the matter is there is a lot of mystery that kind of surrounds Christmas. You remember that as a kid, wondering what you would get, uh, wondering would you get what you had asked for, would you get what you wanted, and it really is kind of a fun time of year, but if we're honest, there's a little bit of anxiety that comes with it, uh, especially for kids. You may have seen that with your uh, kids or grandkids, the wonder turns to anxiety, right? Am I going to get what I asked for? Am I going to get what I really want? And this time of year, and honestly, every time of year can feel that way, and I'm not just talking about gift giving right now, right? I'm talking about the spiritual implications of some of this, that am I going to receive this season what I desire the most? And, and sometimes it's not knowing exactly what God's going to do in a situation that leads us to anxiety, that you are praying and you are asking and you are pleading and you are coming to God with a request or a desire of your heart, some way that you want him to, to move, and you're just not sure what he's going to do, and there can be uncertainty, and there can be a little bit of fear. How is he going to move? And you know what kind of tempers the anxiety a little bit? I think what can temper that anxiety is getting to know and falling in love with the gift giver. 
And that's true across the board. That comes when it comes to receiving presents, trust the gift giver, right? Trust the gift giver. But it also comes true with the spiritual implications of life, that one of the things that is true about God as a gift giver, and God repeatedly refers to himself throughout the scriptures as a God who gives good gifts to his children, is that God, the theological truth under all of this, is that God cannot act out of his character. Right? We talk a lot in this room about what God can do. This is one of those things that God really can't do. God cannot act outside of his character. So God cannot act in an unloving way. He is love. Right? God cannot act outside of righteousness. He always does what is right. He cannot act outside of grace. He is a God of grace. He cannot step outside of his core character and act. So his, his actions and his character are always going to be in complete alignment. And honestly, when you go back to this time of year with kids and gift giving and Santa and all that, if I'm being totally honest, you can kind of understand the anxiety a little bit, right? That, that kids face or whatever. We, we, we sing this song um, and it goes something like this. I am not going to sing it for you, but kids sing this all December long, but it's about Santa Claus and it says he's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's gonna find out kids, right? He's going to find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. Weird. He knows, he knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. And I always, this time of year, I always want my kids to understand that's Santa. Right? There's a lot of mystery and uncertainty about what's this guy going to do? He's watching me while I'm sleeping? What, what, like what, what kind of gifts is he going to bring? There's a lot of anxiety and fear, and I understand it to a certain extent, but that's Santa. That's not mom and dad, right? We buy you gifts for your birthday or we buy you gifts for Christmas as an expression of our love for you. We'd rather you not pout, right? We'd rather you not cry. We'd rather you not do those things, but your Christmas isn't at stake based on your behavior. Those gifts are an expression of our love for you. And that stuff about Santa, it's also not true about God. So one of my prayers every Christmas is that we would understand God's core character, that he is a God of love and truth and grace and righteousness. We'd understand his core character and we would stand in awe and wonder of him. And while it's true, we don't always know exactly what he's going to do in every situation. That is 100% true. While that's true, that we would learn to love his character. And because we've learned to love his character, we would trust his actions. We would trust what he's going to do, even when we don't know exactly what he's going to do. So in this series, we're going to kind of look at, there's uh, these passages in the epistles. These are not classic Christmas texts. Um, but there's these epistle references to Jesus as the mystery. And so we've, you've noticed we've entitled this series, Wonder, right? That, that we want to stand in wonder of the mystery that is Christ. And so we're, there's several different passages we're going to look at. Today we're going to look at Colossians 2, and here's what Paul writes. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, 
in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as your Lord, continue to live out your lives in him. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. So we've talked about this a lot over the years, but we get this wonderful kind of luxury of getting to reverse engineer the Bible. That we get to see the Bible in reverse. That a lot of people in the Old Testament were wondering what God was going to do. We get to marvel at what he has done. Right? And it's a beautiful, beautiful gift that we have to see it in reverse. But throughout all of human history, up until the time of Christ, the early church fathers and matriarchs, they were wondering, what is God up to? What is he doing in this post-sin world? How is he going to bring us the Savior? How is he going to bring us the Lord? What exactly is he going to do? And they got to marvel at it. You think about Abraham and Moses and others. They had to, because they were looking forward, they walked in faith. They didn't know what God was going to do. And Christ is the answer to that question. All the questions that Abraham had, all the questions that Moses had, all the questions that David had, what is God up to? We get to read our Bibles and say, ah, Christ. Christ is what he was up to. Christ is what he was building toward. Christ is what he was accomplishing. And there is a text in your New Testament, Hebrews 11, that kind of lays this out beautifully. And I thought about just retelling the stories, but I want to read to you a very long passage of scripture, if you'll allow me. It feels like I'm asking for forgiveness for that. I'm not. Um, but I, I want to make you aware it is a long text, but I want us to just stand in awe and wonder about all the things that happened before Christ that God was in the middle of. And they didn't know. Abraham didn't know. Isaac didn't know. Moses didn't know. David didn't know. But we can look back and say, oh, Christ. It, it was Christ that God was building toward. Here's how he says it. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to, go to a place he would later receive as an, as an inheritance, obeyed and went even though he didn't know where he was going, all right? So you remember the story, right? God says, leave your family, your nation, your father's household, and start walking. Where am I going? I'll let you know when you get there, right? By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, right? For all of us non-campers, like, ugh. He lived in tents, right? As did, what, what misery, right? All the rest of the campers like, cool, right? as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward. He was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man... And he is good as dead, rude, right, just rude, but right, he is good as dead. Never ever put that in a Christmas card. <laughs> Dear so-and-so, you are as good as dead, right? Came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. Right? 
They were living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things that were promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things should show, uh, should, those who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return, right? And that's the question of a lot of the Bible is why didn't they return? They were living in faith is why they were looking forward is why they didn't return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. So here comes the awesome parts. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. And this is one of those moments where Abraham, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? And Abraham reasoned that God could raise the child from the dead. And so in a matter of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when the end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ. Christ, He didn't even know who Christ was. For the sake of Christ, somehow embedded in Moses, looking forward, was this promise. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. And by faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith... The people passed through the Red Sea on dry ground, and when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab that we talked about a week ago, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what shall I say? He says in conclusion, I don't have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets. Look at this. Who through faith, looking forward, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. Who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword. Whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again, though, and then there were others. And this is one of those kind of heroic groups. It's great to be able to tell stories of we received back the dead, we conquered kingdoms, we administered justice. But look at the faithfulness of this next group. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. 
They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground, and they were all commended for their faith, yet not one of them received what had been promised. Not a one of them. Since God had something better planned for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Boy, is it just me? Or when you hear that passage read, do you, do you have the same thought that I do? I need a little more grit in my life. I need a little more grit. I complain a little too much. I am a little too sour. I, I am a little too wimpy. When it, when it comes to faith, you read about these people that were looking forward and they had no idea what God was up to. They had no idea what he was trying to accomplish and they were persecuted, mistreated, imprisoned, sought in two. They lived in caves. They went through hardship and that was looking forward. And you and I have this amazing blessing of we see what God was doing. So we get to look back and we get to see that the mystery, every time Abraham wondered, Every time Sarah wondered, every time Moses wondered, every time David wondered, we get to look back and we say, the mystery was Christ, Paul says. The mystery is Christ. So when Abraham is called by God, he wondered what God was doing. God knew that he was forming a nation that someday the Messiah would be born to. As the people of God were wandering the desert, God gave them manna from heaven day after day after day. And they were like, man, enough with the manna, God. Why are you giving us this manna from heaven? Every single day, you know what it tastes like? It tastes like manna again and again and again. And they were like, what is he doing? God knew that someday his son would be born to the city of Bethlehem, the house of bread. He gives Moses the law, and Moses is like, man, what, why, what are we doing here? This law is not going to control this stiff-necked people you have given me, right? Moses really needed therapy. He was really going through a hard time. He's like, I don't think the law is going to restrain these people. They're being awful to me, God. And God knew that someday the Messiah would come, and he would become the law made flesh, he gave the people temple, priests, and all of that stuff. And they're like, man, God, what are you doing? When will the Messiah come? And God knew that Jesus, our great high priest, would come and give his life on the cross so that we could know and worship God. Jesus is the answer to what God was doing throughout the whole Old Testament. He is the answer to the mystery. This is what, when you read Matthew 1, next, uh, over the next couple of weeks, you'll probably read Matthew 1. This is what Matthew 1 is about. When you read the first 17 verses of Matthew 1, it is name after name after name. Luke starts out with that kind of the classic story of the nativity. Matthew says, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jesus. And on and on it goes. And then finally at verse 18, we read the familiar words. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came to be about. His, Mary, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was a faithful man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Before that classic text, it is name after name after name after name. 17 verses of it. Why? The point is, look at what God was doing the whole time. Look at what he was doing. Look at how he built the nation. Look at the families he worked through. Look at the obstacles he had to overcome. 
Look at the unfaithfulness that he endured. Look at what God did in the story. And Paul's prayer in Colossians 2 that I read earlier, I know it feels like a long time ago, but Paul's prayer in Colossians 2 is several fold. His first prayer is that you would be encouraged. That you would be encouraged. We still walk in faith today. It's just a different type of faith. Right? We, st- we still don't know what God's going to do. You're all praying about different situations. I don't know what God's going to do. I trust his character. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know how he's going to answer the prayer. I don't know how he's going to work. So we still walk in faith today. But Paul's prayer is that you would see the Old Testament narrative and how the mystery came to fruition in Christ and that you would be encouraged in your own unique situation. That you would see that and you say, man, when I am going through it, when life is hard, when I don't know what God is doing, that I would remember that God is always at work. I may not see it. I may not understand it. I may have different expectations about how he'll work in the future. All of that could be true. But that I would see the narrative of the Old Testament and the mystery that is Christ and say, well, I am playing checkers and God is playing chess. Right? So God is doing something that maybe I can't even see. And so Paul's prayer is that you would be encouraged by the truth, that you may not be able to see what he is doing, but that you would be encouraged to know this morning that God is at work. We don't always see how, but he is at work. The second prayer that Paul has is that you would be united in love. You would be united in love that you would have a complete understanding of what I just shared with you about the mystery, and that as a result of that, you would know Christ. That as you're sitting here or listening online or whatever, you would see the extraordinary lengths that God went to to give us his son. The long 6,000-year history of the Old Testament. You would see the long game that God played so that we could see Jesus, know Jesus, and worship Jesus, and that you would be united to him in love. That you would accept his son. You would worship his son. You would follow his son, and you would give your life to his son. That's the point of it all, Paul says. So that you would see the story and say, man, I believe. That's Paul's prayer. I believe. I want to be united in Christ. And I want to be united to the story. I was thinking the other day, and you've probably been thinking about this too, about what I love so much about Christmas time. And there's a lot to love. Food. That's no surprise to you that I would say that, right? Food. Time with family and friends. Christmas movies. I, I love all that stuff. But you know what? As I've gotten a little bit older, the thing I really, really have grown to love about Christmas is the lights. Um... Is it just me, or is it getting super dark super early? (laughs) I'm leaving work at like 4.30, and I can't see my car in the parking lot, right? It is getting so dark. And there is something about driving through town and seeing the Christmas lights, getting home, and seeing our Christmas tree in the window. There is something about that that just lifts the spirit. And this is my prayer every Christmas, is that in this dark world, and it is dark, that we would see the light of Christ that we would see the light that he is, the light that he, that he offers. And in the midst of that darkness, he would be our light. That he would be our light. That, that what I just said are two different things. Observing the light is one thing. That's a beautiful light. 
A lot of people enjoy that light. That is a good light. Receiving the light is a different thing. And that is my prayer every year, is that he wouldn't just be a light to you, that he would be your light. And so Paul, his last prayer for the Colossians is that, uh, that, that he says is that we would see Christ as the knowledge and wisdom of God. That God had been working this whole time to bring us Christ. And because he is the answer to the mystery, here's his prayer. That you would have confidence in his wisdom and knowledge of all things. Because right? here's the truth. While the whole world wondered what God was doing, God knew. Jesus knew. We were all wondering. Abraham, one of the greatest people of all time. Moses, one of the greatest people. They wondered. God knew what he was doing the whole time. And because of that truth, Paul's prayer is that we would be wise in Christ. That we would follow Christ's example. That we would follow his commands. That we would be like him. That we would follow him. And because of that, we want to be wise in him. Here's how, he would, here's how Paul says it. That no one would take you captive with hollow and deceptive teachings. But instead, we would be wise in Christ. So Paul's comparing those two things. Being wise in Christ, following his examples, following his commands, following his ways, or being held captive by hollow and deceptive teachings. And every culture throughout all human history have had their share of hollow and deceptive teachings. Every single culture. So Paul was writing about specific ones, but I want to detach ourselves from that just for a minute, and I want to talk this Christmas time about what are some of the hollow and deceptive teachings of our current culture. Because Paul's prayer is that we would reject those and we would be wise in Christ, right? So what are the hollow and deceptive teachings of our culture? Number one, your happiness matters most, right? that, That is a hollow and deceptive teaching. That every decision you make in process should have, our culture would say, your happiness as the most important factor. And then a lot of times I've seen people take it even a step further, that God is up just kind of wringing his hands, trying to figure out how to make you and I happy, right? And it's kind of resulted, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's kind of resulted in a culture that is a bit self-absorbed. And as you know, if you are of any age at all, <laughs> as you know, when you go through life based living and making decisions based on what I want and what I like and what makes me happy, ironically, it does not result in a very happy life. So the scriptures say that Jesus became a servant. He made himself nothing. And he lived a pretty good life, I would say, wouldn't you? He became a servant, he made himself nothing, and we would be wise to be wise in him and follow his example and follow his teaching. Hollow and deceptive teaching number two, entertainment and leisure are to be pursued passionately. There's an interesting thing that's happening in our culture, and I find it interesting, and I do have the microphone, so I guess I'm gonna talk to you about it, right? Um, it's, It's an interesting thing that they're talking about people are reporting that they have never been busier than, than they are right now, but they know from study after study that we actually have more leisure time right now than we have at any time that, since they've been doing the study. So there's like a disconnect. People feel busy, but there's actually a ton of leisure time and a ton of, of downtime. And what the study 
uh, I read concluded is that we think that we are busy because of the amount of time that we're pursuing being entertained. And so we're getting confused about our actual busyness, that we're, we're, we're pursuing entertainment, we're pursuing uh, leisure, and it's a good thing to consider in this current culture, how much time am I giving to leisure and entertainment? And it's not that entertainment and leisure are bad, they're not, just in moderation. And also, not at the expense of mission and purpose. So one of the things we see in the scriptures is that Jesus came on a mission. And Jesus came with a purpose, and that was to love others. And we would be wise to be wise in him, to follow his commands, to follow his example, to follow his ways, and not pursue leisure and entertainment uh, to its nth degree, but instead to be on a mission and a purpose to love others. Hollow and deceptive teaching number three, last one. Politics are the answer to every problem. It's going to be okay. So don't preach ahead of me. All right. So, um, and we've talked a lot about this, but our culture believes that our problems need to be solved politically. And there is a place for politics. As a matter of fact, the place for politics is they solve political problems. I just happen to believe that most of our problems are not political. I believe that wholeheartedly. Most of our problems are spiritual. They're not political. And so we're asking for a political entity to solve a spiritual problem. And as my grandfather used to say all the time, that dog won't hunt. That, 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 doesn't, that doesn't work very well. Politics just are not designed to do that. To solve a spiritual problem, you need a savior. You need a lord. You need a teacher. You need an example. And for that, Jesus came to be. He came to be that Lord. He came to be that teacher. He came to be that example. And we would be wise to be wise in him. I love how the prayer kind of crescendos in verse 6. It says, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So we seek to live our lives in Jesus. He is our wisdom that we seek, and, and he is the way that we avoid hollow and deceptive teachings. In him we see an example that we can follow. In him we see commands that we can obey. In him we receive a Holy Spirit to empower us and help us. In him we receive the church, a, a group of people that we can go through life with. He is our wisdom. So we tend to be, just as Americans, right, we tend to be a very pragmatic people. We, we've always been this way in America, that we want reasons and we want explanation. And it's okay to question. I, I, I believe that wholeheartedly. But I sometimes wonder, and I think Christmas is a good time to do that, if we can just take a minute and stand in awe and wonder of Christ. The mystery, the knowledge, the wisdom, the extraordinary links that God went to to give us Jesus. We went to Peoria on Friday to see the lights. You guys do that? It's, if, you, if you've never done that, it's a really cool thing to do. Um, it's the Festival of Lights out there. Uh, we, go, we go to it every single year. And I love going through it with my kids. Um, if our kids weren't with us, I don't know exactly if just Cheryl and I would do it. Um, I, maybe we would. We'll, we'll find out someday. But um, right now our kids are with us. And it's really fun 
the younger my kids are, the more they're, the more they're kind of blown away by the bright lights. Um, especially we get there at five and it's dark, right? Um, and and they're, they're blown away by the lights. They see it and you can just see their eyes, um, especially Lila's of the age that Sam was a few years ago, of just their eyes get really big when they see the light shining in the darkness. And that's Paul's prayer for us, is that we would see the light of Christ shining in the darkness and we would be encouraged and we would be faithful, and we would be confident in him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you uh, for his grace. And right now, especially as we get ready to receive communion, uh, we just want to stand in wonder and awe at what you have done. We are grateful. And in a world where everyone just, we want explanation, we want reason, our culture is kind of built on that. Um, And I'm not opposed to reason, Um, but right now we just want to stand back and we just want to stand in wonder and awe at what you have done and the way that you did it. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're going to receive communion together. uh, They're going to pass them out in just a minute, and you'll find two cups stacked on top of each other. The bread represents Jesus' body. The cup represents his blood. And let's just wonder at what God did to bring us this moment. What God, how God accomplished giving us his son. And you can just thank him and stand in in wonder of that. And then I'll come back up and let's all receive it together as a church family. Because we like to be reminded that one of the gifts that God gave us was the gift of his son, the example, the commands, and all of that, the teachings of Jesus, his Holy Spirit, but also the church. And so we love taking it together to remind ourselves that we're in this thing together. So they'll pass it out and then I'll come back up in just a minute. His body given for you. His blood poured out. Will you stand? As we get ready to leave um, this morning, my prayer for us is the same prayer that Paul had for the Colossians. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Let's close with one last song.